Well, hey everyone, thanks for checking out this message from Journey Church. These resources are so awesome to have when you're out in nature like we are and you gotta go be outside on these nice days. However, we want you to know that there is nothing better than true fellowship with believers and live worship with your fellow Christians. So be sure to use this message only in conjunction with getting fed in a community of believers. Hey, we also want you to get connected with us, so be sure to text the word CONNECT to 307-271-9160 so that you can stay in the loop with everything happening at Journey Church and get notifications about upcoming events. Hey, we pray that this message encourages you and inspires you as you continue this life on your walk with Jesus. us today. Um, glad you're here worshiping, even though the weather is kind of turning a little bit bad outside. I'm glad you're here still participating and worshiping uh, here today. Uh, we wrapped up the series last week on... On heaven and hell. Uh, so that series that wrapped up, um, the the question I'd had in my mind was: since then, you know, we have eternal life. We're looking forward to that. We have heaven before us, but not just heaven. The new earth, the new Jerusalem that is talked about in the Bible. For those who have put their trust in Jesus, who have put their faith in him and believe in him and are walking with him in the newness of life, uh, we can look forward to that. But really the question for me became, well, now what? Uh, what happens as a result of that? Can we live in a broken world with all of its suffering, its heartache, its misery, and its pain as we are looking forward to that day? What is it going to be like between now and the time that we actually get to experience what eternal life? life is all about. I don't know if you know this or not, but according to the Bible, the world is not going to get better. There is no utopia that is going to happen. There's no political group that can step in and save the day. It is marching toward getting worse and worse and worse. And it's what Jesus talks about as the end time events. Now, if you want to learn more about that, I did a whole series on the end times. You can find that on our YouTube channel and you can walk through all of those where I go through the book of Daniel go through what Jesus said in the book of Matthew, some in Ezekiel, and then all of the book of Revelation. And you can learn more about that. But what we know is that the world is not going to get better. It is only going to get worse through all of the problems that we have. So how do we keep following Jesus in the midst of painful times, suffering times, miserable times in some ways? Um, there are some Christian denominations and authors and teachers and pastors who would have us believe that when you accept the Lord, that he is then somehow obligated to give you a life of ease and comfort, of luxury and opulence. They would have you believe that because Jesus is in your life, that now you're going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, and you're never going to have a problem for the rest of your life. There will be no more pain, no more financial difficulties, no more persecutions, no more cancer, no more tragedy, no more difficulties, and that's all because you've accepted Jesus. Now, the question becomes, is that reality? Is that what life is really like, and is that what God has promised would actually happen? In the Heaven and Hell series, on the first week, uh, and if you've not heard that, I would encourage you to go listen to that, because that is an important uh, topic that I had talked about, but in the first message... 
I concluded the service with this idea. I said, if you don't know Jesus and you want nothing to do with him, he is not savior of your life. If you don't know him, then I want you to leave this church and I want you to go out into the world and I want you to enjoy it. Enjoy everything about the world. Enjoy the beauty of the world. Go to the mountains, go to the lake, go to the beach, watch the waves crash. Stand there with someone you love and watch the sunset happen. Go and enjoy it. Enjoy good food. Enjoy your friends. Enjoy good things about this world because if you're not a believer in Jesus, this world is as close to heaven as you're ever going to get. I also concluded it with the same thought though. If you're a believer in Jesus, if you've accepted him, you're trusting in him, then endure this world. Endure the pain. Endure the suffering. Endure the misery. Endure the heartache. Endure the tragedies and the hard times that come. Endure the, endure the tribulations and the trials because if you're a believer in Jesus, this world is as close to hell as you will ever come. The Bible does not promise that everything is going to be great. It does not promise that everything is going to be grand. We have not been promised a life of ease and comfort and a pain-free life. There is going to be persecution there's going to be trials, but we can take heart because Jesus has overcome the world. So today, as we are anticipating heaven and looking forward to the time where God makes all things new, as we're looking forward to eternity with him, and as we have to walk through this world where there is going to be suffering, there's going to be heartache, there's going to be pain, going to be trials, we can have a future and a hope because God is faithful to us even in the midst of suffering. Before we get into the message, I want to pray and ask for God to bless this time. So would you please pray with me? Father, my heart and my desire is that we would learn what it means to endure in you, to not have faulty expectations and beliefs, but instead hold fast to your promises through the pain of this world. There are people in this room today that are going through hard times. They've had sinful things happen to them. There are some that have gotten a horrible medical diagnosis. They're dealing with suffering right now. There are some that have conflicts at work. There are some that have conflicts at home. Maybe there's a marriage that's falling apart or has fallen apart. Maybe they're in a divorce situation and now they're trying to figure out how to co-parent and go through all of that mess. Lord, I pray that today that we would take heart, that we would be encouraged in heart, knowing that we can hold on to you, that we can endure through whatever life throws our way, because we have a future and a hope, and we can look forward to that. Lord, I pray today that it would not be my words that are spoken, but your words, that you would speak to our hearts the message that each one of us need to hear. Lord, comfort those who are downhearted, those who are discourage those who are depressed. Give us encouragement and hope that we can hold on to as we traverse through this life. We thank you for being with us today. By the power of your spirit, Lord, be here at work. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. What I want to use for today as the scripture is a very familiar scripture. In fact, it's a scripture that I would call a coffee mug scripture. It is it's Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. Now, this verse, Jeremiah 29, 11, how many of you, just quick show of hands, have this verse somewhere in your house? Either it's a coffee mug, a print, a decoration, a, a little something in your house. You have this verse somewhere. 
okay? And I appreciate you showing those hands. This verse is often taken out of context. It is a beautiful verse. It is a wonderful verse. It is a hopeful verse. But when we take it out of context that, and we start to believe that God is only going to allow good things to happen in our lives, we can become very disappointed when things don't quite work out that way. In fact, I would encourage you in the way that you read the Bible to make sure you always read the Bible in context. Because if you read it in context, you'll understand how God is working. If you read it out of context, you will be disappointed in life. In fact, I would say it this way, promises taken out of context lead to extreme disappointment. In other words, when we read promises out of context, we believe God has failed us when life proves as challenging as it often is. However, promises taken in context lead to extreme comfort. When we read in context, we realize God's faithfulness, that it transcends our suffering, and that we can persevere through any amount of suffering that happens to come our way. Well, this verse often is taken out of context. When we take it out of context, again, it can lead to really disappointment in our lives. It can create false expectations. So we have to understand the context. So what is the context of Jeremiah 29, verse 11? 11. Well, let me tell you a little bit about it. In the book of Jeremiah, the people of God, the Israelites, are going through a horrific time. They have been conquered as a nation by the kingdom of Babylon. The nation, the kingdom of Babylon, the Babylonians have taken over, over Israel. Most of it is because of their own fault. God wasn't with them because they had turned their back on God. When a nation turns its back on God, the consequence can be devastating. In the same way, I believe, as our nation turns more and more away from God, there are devastating impacts and effects that could take place and really affect us personally. In Israel, it was the same thing. They had turned their back on God, and God let this happen to them. He let the Babylonians come in and utterly take them over, killing many, taking many off to captivity in the capital empire of Babylon, which is today modern-day Iran. They had been marched off. In the middle of them being marched off, God had given them a promise, and that promise was Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. In fact, you can't understand the context of 29:11 until you understand the one verse preceding it, which most people don't really know. Here's the verse that precedes Jeremiah 29:11, this beautiful verse. It's preceded by this verse. It says it this way: For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. Notice what he says. He says, when 70 years, when those 70 years are completed, what does that mean? It means from where they were at then, it was going to be 70 years of suffering, 70 years of pain, 70 years of living in captivity, 70 years of going through hard times until at the end of that 70 years, God fulfills the promise. And the promise was this, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. The analogy of that, the significance of that is this. 
that sometimes God allows significant periods of time to happen in our lives that are hard and difficult, times of suffering and pain, times of misery and despair, at moments, times of being feeling like you're away from where you're supposed to be. God often allows that. The promise is given, the promise is true, the promise is one that you can hang on to, but the promise is given for a future time. 70 years. Can we go through this for 70 years? Is there anything in your life that you have gone through for 70 years? There are some maybe that are that age among us. You've gone through 70 years of life, but you think about 70 years in captivity, 70 years away from home, 70 years of just having to go with the flow of going through where I don't want to be, a false culture, a culture that doesn't worship God, a culture that maybe is putting hardships on my life for 70 years until we get to the promise that I have a plan for you. Well, the plan is going to be in the future. It's not for today. It's not for the coffee mug, even though it's perfectly fine if you have that decoration in that coffee mug. But every time you look at it, I want you to remember, this is a future promise. It's not for today. God is not promising good today. He's promising good in the future. R.E. Clements, who is a commentator of the Bible, writing about the book of Jeremiah, he said this. He said the reference in Jeremiah's letter to a period of 70 years was obviously intended to signify a full human lifetime. None of those who had been taken to Babylon could hope to return to their homeland. Only their children might hope to do so. He goes on to say this, rather... Their expectations to be built upon the painful acceptance of the reality of Babylonian rule in the present. Consequently, they had to adapt to this situation and learn to endure it. I want you to notice a couple of words. Their expectations had to be built upon the painful acceptance of the reality of Babylonian rule in this present situation, this, in this present. They had to adapt to this situation and they had to learn to endure it. There's times in life that God says, look, this is reality. Your expectations are never going to be met. You've got to accept the reality that you've been given and learn to adapt and learn to accept where you're at today. Do you know, in the midst of hard times, that it is very possible to still experience a deep sense of joy, a deep sense of God's promise, even though maybe it's not all perfect. If you look at the context of Jeremiah, Jeremiah, through God speaking through Jeremiah, says to them, I want you to dig in. I want you to, to be a part of it. I want you to, to be faithful in the midst of whatever you're going through. Be faithful wherever you're planted. In Jeremiah 29, verses 4 through 7, it says this, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles, the ones who have been kicked out of their country, I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So God allowed this to happen. Look what he says to them. Build houses... And live in them. Plant gardens, eat their produce, take wives, have sons, have daughters. Take wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons. Multiply there, don't decrease. 
but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. So what is God saying? He's saying, look, in the world that you're in, get married, build a house, have a career, go to work, have friendships, plant a garden, eat the produce of the garden, get married, have kids, let your children get married and have kids, dig into life, and then also pray for the place that you're at. Pray for the nation of, uh, of Babylon. Pray for the capital city. Pray for the nation. If you pray for them, it might go well with you. What are we told to do in our world? Well, accept the world. Be in it. Have a family. Build a career. You're in the world. You're not of the world. This is not your home. You're in exile in this world today because your home is eternity with God forever. That's your home. So in this place, do life, accept life, enjoy life, enjoy God's blessings, pray for the nation, and look forward with anticipation to what God is going to do. That's exactly what they had to do, and it's exactly how we live in this world with heaven in mind. God has not promised it's going to be easy, it's going to be great, everything is going to work out wonderfully. He's promised that I have a future for you, and that future is eternity. Don't get attached to this world, start getting attached to him. How many of you are attached to this world in an unhealthy way? It's like this world is everything. This, these things are everything. This house is everything. These possessions are everything. No, they're not. Your future is with him. This is just a moment of time that you are passing through. So take heart. Be encouraged. Because God says that promise, I know the plans that I have for you. Now what I want to do is I just want to break this verse apart and show you some of, the, some of the meanings of the verse, and then I want to give you three principles of hope that I think are going to encourage you as you go about your everyday life today. Let's look at this verse, and let's just break it apart, pers- uh, part by part, word by word almost. It says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. I want to read it again from the King James Version. Here's what the King James Version says. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. So let's talk about these things and what they mean. So let's start with the very first one. God says this, for I know the plans I have for you. I know the plans. I want you to notice something very powerful about this little first part of the verse. For I know the plans I have. Do you you understand what's missing in that statement? What's missing is this. He doesn't ask you what your plans are. He doesn't ask what your opinion is. He doesn't ask what your thoughts are. I am a planner by nature. I love to plan I like things to work out according to my plan. You know, sometimes, sadly to say, I get frustrated when plans don't work out the way that I've planned them to work out. Can anybody identify with that at all? I want to be in control. I want to plan. And sometimes things don't work out. And I have to learn how to adjust. It reminds me of the very famous theologically correct quote. 
I think it was Mike Tyson who said, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. Okay? <laughs> That's kind of what it is. God does not ask me, what is my opinion? Aaron, what would you like? What is your input? No, he says, I know the plans that I have. People often get upset when God doesn't meet their expectations. In other words, God was supposed to come through in this way, and he didn't. Therefore, I am rejecting him because he didn't do what I thought he should do. Well, that's pretty arrogant, isn't it? How can I say to the God who is the author and creator, the one who put the universe into existence, the one who runs the show, is in control of all, how can I say to him, you need to do things my way? I mean, how arrogant is it for the creation to say to the creator, here's how things should be done? God says, no, 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 it's my way, it's my plan. He is the king, he is the Lord of lords, king of kings, he is the almighty God, the creator God, and he says, I know my plans. It always reminds me of, uh, of a poem that my wife often will quote, and it was really, I think it was made famous by Corey Tinboom. In fact, I think she has contributed as the author of it, not really sure if that's the case, but she used it a lot, and it was the the, the poem called The Weaver or The Weaving. Have you ever heard this poem? You probably have because I've shared it before. If you were listening anyway that time, uh, I've shared The Weaver, The Weaving before. And the way it goes, it's about a tapestry. So think of a tapestry. A tapestry would be a, a, a fabric wall hanging that's a beautiful picture that has been woven. And you look at that picture, it's incredible. If you turn it and you look at the backside, it's ugly. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't look right. You can't really tell what the picture is. Threads are sticking out everywhere. Well, she uses the analogy of this weaving to describe the fact that he's in control and he has the plans. Here's what it says. It says, my life is but a weaving between my God and me. I cannot choose the colors he weaveth steadily. Oft times he weaveth sorrow, and I in foolish pride forget he sees the upper and I the underside. I, all I can see is the backside. God sees the finished product. He sees what is going to happen. He knows what he's doing. He sees the plan. All I see is the back. Not till the loom is silent and the shuttles cease to fly will God unroll the canvas and reveal the reason why. The dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. He knows, he loves, he cares. Nothing this truth can dim. He gives the very best to those who leave the choice to him. I know the plans I have. It's God's plans. It's not my plans. Numbers 23, 19, God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? God's saying, I'm in control. I'm in charge here. It's my plans. It's not you. So that's the first part of this. He says, for I know the plans that I have. Now, what are these plans that he has? He says, well, they're plans for you. Their plans that I have specifically for you. Who is the you? Well, in that context, it was the nation of Israel. I know the plans that I have for the nation of Israel. I've got good news for you, though. If you look at the book of Romans, 
by you accepting Jesus in your heart, you have become a part of the nation of Israel. Did you know that? When God looks at the nation of Israel, the nation of Israel is divided into really two, two factions. One, it is those who by birth have a blood tie to Israel. That's not who God really refers to as Israel. The second are those who've accepted his son who are then made a part of the spiritual nation of Israel. You're a part of the spiritual nation of Israel. So when God says, I have a plan, therefore you... If you've accepted Jesus as Savior, those plans that God has are for you, specifically for you. What do we know them to be? Well, we know one for sure is that he has said we will have eternal life. We'll live with him in all eternity. Not for the short amount of time, the 70 years, we'll live with him forever. That's his plan, and it's for you. So I know the plans that I have for you declares the Lord. What are these plans that he has? Well, notice notice what the plans are. Plans for welfare. What does it mean to have plans for welfare? Does that mean like on the welfare system? Is that what you mean by that, God? No. Do you know that the word welfare is not actually the word that we should even look at? The word welfare, we can take that out. In the Hebrew, and this is all based upon how translators translate the Bible. They do the best that they think they're doing. But the real word is the word shalom. Do you remember when I've taught on what shalom is? Shalom is completeness. It is peace. That's part of it. But it's wholeness and completeness. So what does God say? I have a plan, plan that you will be whole and you will be complete. I'll meet everything in your life that you've ever desired and dreamt of. I will meet that for you. And then he says, these are plans. They're not for evil. That is the goodness of God. God is always good. He is the omnibenevolent God, which means he's always good. God does not have a plan to harm you. He's not a tricker, a trickster. He is not there to try to trick you and to sell you a bill of goods that's not true. He said, if I've said it in my word, it is true, and I will not harm you. I have nothing but good in store for you. Do you know that even, even in the midst of all of the suffering and pain, God has something good in store. So endure the hardship and look forward to what God has for you. I have plans, and notice what the plans are. I love this. The plans are to give you. Note the word, to give. I want to give you. Do you know what that's called? That is called God's grace or God's amazing grace. He wants to give you a gift that you do not deserve that I do not deserve. We haven't earned it. We can't, we, we can't get it ourselves. We can't obtain it ourselves. It's a free gift given to you and I by the almighty God out of his deep love for you. What an incredible thing that God would give us a gift that we haven't earned. Have you, you ever gotten a gift and when you get the gift, you immediately feel guilty because you got the gift and you immediately think, I didn't get them anything. And so you go shopping quickly to get them a gift, to pay them back for the gift that they gave you. Do you know that that's not okay? Do you know if a gift is not given freely, it's not really a gift. It's an obligation. It's a contract. It's an agreement. 
When somebody gives a gift, it's a freely given thing to you, not because you deserve it, not because you earn it, but because I love you. Parents at Christmas time will often give their kids gifts. Do you think your kids have earned those gifts? I'll tell you, guarantee they have not earned it. In fact, sometimes, anyway, I I better not even go off on that tangent. They haven't earned it. But you love them. And so you want to give. You want to bless them because you love them so much. And so what does God want to give you? He wants to give you, look, he says, a future and a hope. What is the future? The future is what I can look forward to. It is not immediate. It is future. It's not like everything's going to work out perfect today. I'm going to leave this place. Everything's great. No, he says it's a future thing. It may be difficult. You may have a long road to walk. It may be painful. There may be hardships that happen, persecutions that happen, suffering that happens. But I want you to know, he says, I have a future for you. Hang on to the future. Don't focus on the here and now, which is what we tend to do. We focus on the immediate, the details. And God says, don't focus on that. Focus on the future. Because in the future, I have not only this future for you, but I have a hope. Hope, according to the Bible, is the confident expectation of something good. That's what hope is. Hope is based upon the promises of God. Hope is I can have confidence in what God has said because he's always proven himself true. And even though today is painful, there is a future day that I can have and look forward to. And that's what hope is. So real quickly, with the remaining just few minutes, and I'll make this very quick, I want to give you three principles of hope that are going to help you today. Principle number one of hope is this. Hope focuses on the future. Hope is not immediate that I am looking to. We use hope out of context a lot. Like today, I would use hope in this term. I would say, well, I hope the Broncos win. I don't have a lot of confidence that they're going to win. I hope that the Broncos win. That's not the correct use of hope. That's not biblical hope. Hope is focused on the future promises of God. Hope is constantly looking toward that. I'm not looking at the immediate. I'm looking down the road. God, what do you have in store? That's what hope is. That's what keeps you going. Hope focuses on the future. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 14 and 15. It's out of the living Bible. I love the way it says it. Out of the living Bible. Look at these words. For this world is not our home. You you get that? This world that we live in today is not our home. It's temporary. It's a passing moment. It's 70 years or 80 years. That's all it is. James says it's a mist. It's a vapor. It's like, it's just, it's like a drop in the bucket. This world is not our home. We are, this is, this is where hope focuses on the future. We are looking forward to our everlasting home in heaven. With Jesus' help, we will continually offer our sacrifice of praise to God by telling others of the glory of his name. Hope keeps looking forward. Don't focus on the here and now. Focus on what does God have in store 
What does the future really look like with him? So hope focuses on the future. Second thing about hope is that hope brings joy and happiness. Do you know that hope can affect your everyday life? There are numerous people today in our culture that are so, they're, they're depressed, they're distraught, they're full of anxiety, they've got fears that are overwhelming them, they're worrying, they're full of doubt, they've got a lot of anger that they're dealing with. That's why we are a, the most highly medicated society in the world today, because of all of those internal struggles that are going on. How do we find encouragement? It's hope that gives you encouragement. Hope is what keeps you going. Hope gives you joy and happiness. Psalm 42, one verse, verse 5. This verse is an amazing verse. Here's what it says. The psalmist writes, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Let me just tell you a little bit about this. There was a preacher in 1645. Uh, his name was Richard Sibes. Um, this, this preacher, his nickname was the Sweet Dropper. He was... The 1645 version of Grant Clark, that's what he was. He was the sweet dropper. He was the one who was just giving hugs to everybody around everywhere, I'm guessing. Now, this guy wrote a 175-page book on this one single verse, and it was called The Soul's Conflict with Itself. He was arguing that, or he was stating in this book that this verse is the internal battle that every one of us have. He was saying this, these words, this first sentence, that is the internal struggle we all face. This is the struggle not only do we all face, but this is the struggle that Satan beats us over the head with as well. Discouragement. Why are you cast down? Can you imagine saying to yourself these words? And I want you to picture it. If I was saying it to myself, I would say this, Aaron, why, why are you cast down? Why is my soul in turmoil within me? Well, that battle that he was having within himself was overcome by the next three words. The next three words become the best message you could ever preach to yourself. And the message is this, hope in God. That was the answer. Why are you depressed? Why are you cast down? Why are you bitter? Why are you resentful? Why are you struggling? Why are you full of anxiety? Why is the anger overwhelming you? Well, how about this? Hope in God. And when I preach myself that message, then I can again praise him because he's my salvation and my God. In fact, that is the best encouragement that I would give you. How do you fight the battle? How do you find joy and happiness? Well, you've got to remind yourself continuously, wait, I've got to hope in him. That's where my hope is. I don't have to worry about this. I would guess if I did a little bit of a survey that there is something in your life that you have been worrying about this past week. If I just quick show of hands, and you don't have to, but if I were to ask you to show your, I bet there's somebody in here that has been worrying about something. And I want you to take that verse and remind yourself, wait a second, I don't have to worry. I need to hope in God. And he will take care of it. He has a plan. 
He has a bigger plan than I can possibly have. He has a way. So that's number two. Principle number two, hope brings joy and happiness. That's where it comes from. That's how you fight this fight in this world. Number three, hope sustains daily living. What do I mean by that? Hope is what gets you out of bed in the morning. I don't know if any of you felt it today when you got, uh, when you, when the alarm went off and you looked outside and you saw how kind of yucky things look outside that you felt, I just want to crawl back into bed. Any, anybody like that? I just want to crawl back into bed today. I don't want to get out of bed. Do you know that people that really are struggling in life, really discouraged, really depressed, that's how they feel like on a daily basis. I don't even want to get out of bed. What gets me out of bed? What sustains my daily living? Well, the one thing that can sustain it is the hope that God has. Hope is one of the most powerful weapons in the arsenal God has given us to fight the fight in this world. Psalm 71, the psalmist says this, But I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. It's a continuous hope continually. Hope then focuses on the future. It brings joy and happiness. It sustains our daily life. That's why we can take a verse like Jeremiah 29, 11 and say, okay, I know it's, maybe it's not today. Maybe it's not going to be immediate. Maybe, maybe I've got false expectations that I've got to get rid of. Maybe I've got to let go of some lies that I have been believing. I need to know that even though it may be 70 years that I'm going to go through a trial, 70 years of exile like the Israelites had, in the end, God has a great plan. And he's got a future. And he wants to make me complete. And he wants to give me a hope. And it's not to harm me. It is all for my good. So, today... What is the challenge? Here, here's today's challenge that I want to leave you with. I want you to take with you today. Number one, don't put your plans on God. Submit to his plans for you. That's number one. Does that make sense? Don't put your expectations and plans that God has to somehow come through according to what we think. Instead, God, it's not about me. It's what do you think? He knows the plans. I don't. And so it's life is the weaving. All I see is the backside. He sees the finished product. So God, I'm not going to question. You do what you want to do. I'm going to trust you. That's challenge number one. Don't put your plans upon God. Surrender your plans to God. Number two, realize that he has good in store for you. It just may not seem that way today. He has an ultimate plan. But today may be filled with challenges and struggles and turmoil. But he has an ultimate good plan for you. His goodness for you transcends what you're going through today. It's greater and bigger than anything you could go through today. That's number two. Realize that he has good in store for you, even though it immediately it doesn't feel like that way. Number three, let hope impact everything about every day of your life. Because hope is a looking forward, hope is happiness and joy for today, and hope sustains my life. Do you have that kind of hope as we are longing for heaven with him, longing for eternity with him? Are you living out this life as a life filled 
with hope. Let's pray. And then we're going to close with a closing video benediction today. But let, let me pray. Father, be with us as we leave this place. Help us to have hope built upon you. Help us, Lord, not to lose heart, not to, not to faint when things get difficult, but continue to endure and persevere even in a life that is difficult and challenging. There are many people in this room or watching today that have difficulties that they are traversing things that they're battling, things that they're going through right now. Sometimes they have felt like you, you just don't care, God. You, you're not coming through the way I expected you to. I pray for that person, Lord, that they would sense and feel and realize, no, you've got a greater, bigger plan. You have the plans, even though immediately it doesn't feel good. Lord, help us to put our trust in you, our faith in you, and our hope in you, and help that hope to sustain us through every day of life. Father, as we leave, help us to be the church in this community. Help us to reach this community for your sake, just telling people the good news of how you have impacted our lives, the good news that we can have eternal life with you. Thank you for being here. It is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for checking out that message from Journey Church. We pray that it inspired you to trust the Lord, to treasure people, and to transform our world with the saving gospel message of Jesus Christ. If God is leading you to give to this ministry, be sure to head over to journeychurchgillette.com and hit the give icon in the bottom right-hand corner. Your generous contributions allow us to continue making content like this week after week. So thank you for your generosity so that we can keep spreading the message of Jesus Christ all over the internet. Hey, God bless you guys, and thanks for listening to this message.